Let's get into our Bible study. Let's go to, let's go to, where are we going? We're going to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 is where we are starting today. And we're going to look at the concept of, okay, so let's, let's think about it this way. You've given your life to Jesus Christ. You've got a, a burning desire in your heart to share Jesus with somebody. Where do you start? How do you start? Yeah. Uh, do you start by going, okay, I clearly need to get myself a, you know, at least a bachelor's degree in soul winning before I can go out and share Jesus with somebody. Is that where you start? No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. And so often I've had people, and I meet people, I meet people all the time in churches who have been Christians their entire life and have never led anyone to Jesus Christ. Hmm. And I find that to be such a tragedy. It's such a privilege to lead somebody to Jesus Christ and to be able to have all of this goodness that we have and to be able to have all of the training that we have you know, in the Bible and so forth and never to be able to use the information and the skills that God has given to us. I just find that really sad. I don't know if I can say that I can really claim I led someone from like nothing to Jesus Christ. Who who can? Yeah. Nobody can. Paul couldn't. Paul's like, yeah, Apollo started it, Peter added some more, and I added a little bit more. I've never yet met anyone who has come to Christ through the influence of one person alone. Yeah. And, and so maybe think- that's where people chip up is because they think they have to completely be the one to take them from start to finish. Yeah, for sure. That's, that's, that's a good point. I'm glad you raised that point. But, you know, as a school teacher and working with, you know, young minds, young people that are in that uh, stage of their life where they are making decisions for or against God, you're going to have students in your class that have made a decision for God, right? I pray. Yeah, absolutely. Every day. I, I, I have absolute confidence that, uh, <laughs> you know, somebody like you who prays every day that they will lead someone to Christ, that there have been people that have come to Christ in your class as a result of your testimony. There's no question in my mind about that. Even if they have not yet necessarily put up their hand and said, yes, Angela led me to Christ, <laughs> um, that's definitely going to be testimonies that you're going to hear at some stage in the future. Wow. Yeah. And I think that that's... That's incredible to think about. But, and I think that's what we need to realize, each one of us personally, is um, you are leading someone to Christ any time that you share Christ, period. It doesn't mean yes. like you're sharing the th- baptism. It doesn't mean you're sharing this is how you accept Jesus into your heart. Any time you share what God is doing in your life, you are leading someone to Jesus. I have so many people who come to me and say, I could never give a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And I say, why? And they say, because... They might ask questions that I don't know the answers to. Well, guess what? I've been doing doing uh, uh, Bible study full time, you know, as a as a part of my my work for twenty six years now. And Angela typically asks me questions in the morning <laughs> that I don't know the answers to. <laughs> you know, I get there after a couple of clues, mm. but I regularly am unable to get them. You know, sometimes I. Go right the way through the quiz, and I've got like I have no idea what that one is. <laughs> uh, I'm resonating with this. <laughs> and so, does that mean you know that because I don't know, you know, because somebody might ask a question that I don't know the answer to, 
that I shouldn't go out and give Bible studies. The reality is that when you're studying the Bible with somebody else, 99% of the time you're going to know more about the Bible than they do. And uh, all of the time they're going to recognize that the Bible is a thick book. Mm-hmm. Definitely. No one is ever going to have the expectation that you know everything that there is in the Bible. I've never met anyone with that e- expectation. Yeah. And so I share the Bible with people and sometimes they ask questions and I'm like, I have no idea. You know, some, sometimes even the questions come through question of the day and I'm like, you know what, I'm not going to do that one today because that's just a new one on me. I don't know the answer to that question. You know, I've actually come to love my own questions, um, which then I think helped me not to be afraid of other people's questions. Because the truth is, when I now come to a question that I cannot fully answer, I realize, oh yeah, I'm not God. And any time that I can't answer a question, it means there's something bigger than me out there. If I could solve everything, or if you could solve all my questions, then why do I need God? You don't. So questions to me are a reminder that there must be something bigger out there. Other, otherwise, why can't I just solve it all? In fact, if you could answer all the questions yourself, you are God. Yeah, exactly. And who? I don't want to be God. <laughs> but if you can answer all the questions, you are. Yeah. That's, that's the that's the real, reality of it. And so, you know, somebody who wants all of their questions answered, it's like, well, you know, do you really want to be God? Um, yeah, I think I becoming think so. okay with the fact that you yourself can't answer all the questions helps you to be in a really comfortable position when you talk to people because you're just saying, hey, let me point you to somebody who can answer all of our questions, but maybe not here and now, but can answer many questions. Indeed. Okay, so we're slightly sidetracked from where we were going to start in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But let's go to Acts 1 and verse 8. And let's, uh, let's read what the Bible says there. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay, so where did Jesus say that they were supposed to start? In Jerusalem. Right there in the city of Jerusalem. This is super significant to the foundation of Christianity. We're going to talk more about it in just a moment. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. So when Jesus says start in Jerusalem, where's he, where's, effectively where is he telling them to start? Home. Start, where it's clo- start closest. Start mm-hmm. at home. Mm-hmm. Now there's a number of interesting points that um, I think are worth commenting on in relationship to the fact that Jesus told them to start in Jerusalem and then Judea, and then Samaria, and then the uttermost part of the world. And yeah, I think here in Australia, we're probably living in a place that back then would definitely be considered qualified as the uttermost part of the world. <laughs> definitely. Um, so <laughs> to some, it is still today. <laughs> kind of uh, um, a privilege to live in a place that is, I think we can claim it. We'll, we'll just claim it today, Australia, the uttermost part of the world. Yeah, um, to live ages here. away from everything. Yes, to live here and to receive the blessings of God. Okay, let's think about this just from the foundation of Christianity. Let's say that Christianity was built on a hoax. There are many people in our world today who would say that Christianity is built on a hoax. So let's say that Jesus, you know, actually lived and died. Nobody actually, nobody really disputes that. Um, so 
Jesus lived and died. What people do dispute is obviously the resurrection because without the resurrection, Christianity doesn't exist. But let's say he lived and died, and when he dies, his disciples say, you know, we're on a bit of a good thing. We're on a bit of a roll. We had a whole bunch of people who turned up for the uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We shouldn't waste this opportunity. Let's start a new religion. And it's like, okay, how are we going to start this new religion because our God is dead? That's kind of a bit of a bad way. Okay, so let's, uh, let's make up the idea. Let's come up with a theory that he rose from the dead. If you were going to do that, would you start in Jerusalem? I would say that you wouldn't. I would say that you would actually start in the uttermost part of the world. Yeah, because most people could see right through right there. All you've got to do is go out to the tomb and exhume the body of Jesus and it's all over. Yeah. Or just keep asking questions around. And when you see that it's just a, such, a, such a small population that can testify to this, it becomes <clears throat> very... Incredible. But when you've got 500 people who can testify to it, when you've got uh, a bunch of miracles that were associated with it, when you've got people who were resurrected from the dead when Jesus died and went into the city and testified about it, when you've got you know all the supernatural events that take place on the crucifixion weekend, then there is a... And the fact that the disciples start right there at ground zero. And not only do they start at ground zero, they start within days of the event happening. So if you're going to make something up, the smart thing to do at this particular point would go be, okay, we've got a good foundation here. We've got a bunch of great moral teachings. Let's go and turn this into a new worldwide religion. We're going to base it around the resurrection. You would go to somewhere like at least Spain or Britannia or somewhere like that and start it there so that by the time it works its way back to Samaria and Judah and Jerusalem, two or three hundred years have passed, and there are not there is not anyone living there who can actually say, well, actually, you know what, I was here at the time, and that's not how it happened. So the fact that Jesus tells them to start where it is closest adds credibility to the experience that the disciples were having. Yeah, they're definitely not trying to make up anything. They're just saying, look, I can't help it. I need to tell everybody, and I'm just going to start telling right here. And also, I think God asked them to tell it right there because he's desperately trying to still work through his people to be the yes. light to the world. Yes. He's still, you can see that all through his life. He was not ever trying to give up on the leaders. He really wanted the leaders to get it as well because he knew that if he could get the leaders to get it, then he could get the whole people to get it, and then they'd be a huge light to the world. Instead, he had to work through the minority, but that was never his plan. That's right. And we need to, we need to remember that the Jewish nation was God's church. Even after Jesus was crucified and killed by that Jew, they remained his, his church for another three and a half years. Yes. His chosen church for another three and a half years before the Christian church uh, replaces them as the, as the, uh, you know, the Jewish church. Yeah. And he's so, looking to work through people. Yes. He's not trying to just do this alone. He's looking to work through changed lives. We get that ability to tell the story. Um, we get to be God's expression here on earth. So when God changes our life, where should we start if we're following this pattern? I would say start with your friends. Start with your family. Start with whatever, whoever is nearest. Mm-hmm. 
That's what Jesus said. And in the same way that the testimony of the disciples had more credibility and more power because they were starting at the closest possible, or starting at ground zero, it's the same with our testimony. Because I can go to the other side of the world and I can share my testimony of what God has done in my life. But when I share that same testimony amongst my friends who have seen those experiences and seen what I've gone through and seen what God has done for me and seen the changes that God has made in my life, then that testimony is infinitely more powerful. And it's also more difficult for us to stay at home because our family and our friends have seen all sides of us. And so unfortunately, sometimes they're very, you know, quick to remember who we were without Christ. And not only that, um, you can see in Peter's life, he doesn't instantly change, right? There's this process that God is working on. You still see it when he has that argument with Paul and the fact that Peter didn't fully accept the Gentiles even at that point. So you can see that Peter is totally a work in progress. And so as he's preaching Christ, he's still making mistakes. So it's very difficult for him to have chosen to speak in Jerusalem. I mean, Paul comes straight out and says that, uh, you know, Peter acted deceitfully. Yeah. That is pretty strong language. In front of a lot of people. In front of a lot of out. people. And this was years, years after mm-hmm. after the, the resurrection. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I, th- I think this is an important point is that we are all a work in progress. And sometimes it is the hardest place to start. You know, it's harder to share with your family. Uh, probably than any other, you know, people often people often contact me and like, oh, you know, I've got such a burden for, for, for my family. How do, I, how do I go about witnessing for my family? And I think that sometimes they expect me to um, or expect, you know, us to come up with a magic bullet like, okay, when you're working for your family, this is the way you do it. Just follow these steps right here. Uh, you can shut your brain off and if you tick all of these boxes and color by numbers, it's going to happen. <laughs> and there's just simply no such thing. Every family is going to be different, and we simply need to recognize that this is our first mission field and our hardest. Yeah, and also, you know, the reason why Jesus asked us to share is, yes, of course, that we're going to touch someone else's life. But he knows in that process of sharing that that faith now becomes our own faith, that our relationship with Christ grows in sharing. And so the greatest work of character development is in that process of sharing, because as you are sharing and you are growing, you realize that old habits die hard, right? And so different things flare up and the things that you were praying about, like, Lord, help me to be more kind and merciful and humble. Yes, I'm preaching to myself. Um, then all of a sudden something flares up with your family and you realize that all of those character attributes that you've been praying about, uh, you still have quite a work to go. And so it's a lot easier for me to go overseas and be a missionary. You know, when people first meet me, I'm wonderful. I'm fun and I'm joyous. But, you know, when you spend more time with me, you see, oh, she's not, you know, not perfect. And my really? family, yeah, well, very much okay. Very much so. <laughs> and you my family dis- knows that. You have that. disappointed us all this morning, Angela. <laughs> And so in that process of, of working at home, to be honest, it's really working on yourself too. Christ is working in you. The Holy Spirit is changing you because you keep being put into situations where your character gets tested at home. Compared to abroad, I mean, everybody loves you. Mm, indeed. So you're a big fan of um, doing 
Overseas missions. <laughs> how, how many how many mission trips have you been on? Uh, seventeen. Se- se- seventeen. <laughs> se- seventeen. Yeah, yeah. And I've probably been about on maybe twelve in the last five years. <laughs> wow. In one year, I was on seven. Yeah. How many different countries? Um, I don't know how many ones because of mission trips. I've been to 45 countries total, but those aren't all mission trips. So I don't know. Probably mission trip countries, maybe only 12 or 13. Only? Yeah. <laughs> wow. COVID has certainly clipped your wings, hasn't it? It was. I was supposed to go to Peru. I actually volunteer for Maranatha and I lead their young adult ship. And I was leading young, young adult ship to build a church in Peru um, in July, but we couldn't go because of COVID. So You've been there before? I have. That was my first mission trip was in Peru. Ah, what a great country Peru is. Big shout out to all our Peruvians this morning. You're listening to The Breakfast Show Podcast on Faith FM. Positively different. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about mission Test trips. Of character. And uh, witnessing to people and talking about starting where, where you know at what lies closest and somebody's text through to say sometimes the only thing you can do with family is to love them. Mm. You know, that's an actual uh, very great key in to what I was going to also say about the fact that the the best way you can witness to your family is a life filled with Christ and a life of love. So the truth is that means you have to model what you preach. You have to practice what you preach. It's a whole lot easier for me to go overseas and get up front and preach or, you know, interact with my participants and lead worships and say great things. I mean, honestly, we can all wax very eloquently. I, you know, I've heard all people talk about Jesus in the Bible, but live the life. Well, that's really only something that is done in time. And two weeks overseas or a month overseas like I spend is nothing compared to days on end with my family and friends as they watch me wake up tired or I don't get something that I want and something stuff builds on stuff on builds and people say comments and all of a sudden I'm not really living what I've been preaching. And so if you think about Peter's life and the life that he's been modeling with a sailor mouth and all sorts of things beforehand, that doesn't die quickly. And so I'm sure there's many times where that temper, we see it, gets flared and all of a sudden it's like, really? Christ is working in you? Powerful point. Very, very powerful point right there. And a massive challenge to every one of us this morning. Well, massive challenge to me. I'm going home soon. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. But it is a huge challenge to all of us who profess Christianity Mm. is to actually live it around our family. Yeah. Uh, Because they truly see every different aspect of us. Every aspect. (laughs) <laughs> All right, let's go on and let's look at some of these other passages that uh, we have for our 20 Million Movement Bible study this morning. Let's go to, we're going to talk a little bit, spend a little bit of time talking about Andrew. Andrew is not one of those major characters in the Bible. He does pop up on occasions. Uh, there is something in common with every time that Andrew pops up. So let's have a look at what Andrew has uh, in common. So John chapter 1, verse 40 and 41, please. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. Okay. Andrew is not a major character in the Bible. He is barely mentioned as one of the disciples. Peter is mentioned a lot. So which one of these two individuals influenced the history of the early church more profoundly? I don't even think that's a question you can ask. Isn't it? I mean, in the Bible, there's no first and second Andrew or third Andrew, whatever. That's you know? true. But how can you measure one's impact? 
I mean, you could say Peter. Of course, you'll say Peter because Peter's the one that, you know, Christ says on this rock, I'll build my church. And also, he also is the one who wrote, or not wrote, I don't think he wrote first and second Peter, but he was part of that, right? Or do you think he could write? The rock that, by the way, the, the rock yes, that thank you. Was, was Jesus Christ. Yes. Um, it, was, it was Peter's profession of Jesus Christ. Yeah, so we, but if we talk about um, if we talk about Peter, you know, it's a he's a major character in the Bible. He does have a lot to say. He does write First and Second Peter. Um, he has a major influence on the early church. And Andrew kind of disappears into obscurity, but he doesn't disappear into obscurity. If you study the history of Andrew, he became a mighty missionary for God, did amazing things for God. But even if he didn't, and even if the only thing he ever did was to bring Peter to Jesus Christ. What an impact that has had on our world today. I mean, I just always pray, Lord, if I can just reach one student. Just one. If I can reach one, then my life had purpose. Honestly, a, just one student is enough. <laughs> there was an evangelist in the United States who ran an evangelistic program. And it was down in the South. It was unbelievably unsuccessful. At the end of it, he was pretty gutted because you know he's expecting hundreds of people to turn up and you know, hundred, you know, hundreds of people to give their lives to Jesus Christ, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And at the end of all of the effort that he put in, massive amount of effort, he only baptized one person. Mm. And that one person was either, I think, it was Joe Cruz's father. Joe Cruz went on to baptize like sixty thousand people. Yeah. You know, so. Um, you know, there's several amazing stories. We actually could yeah. go a long time on the power of That's one. That's right. The power of one, and and and, it's, and it comes down to that uh, that allegorical story of the guy, the two guys standing in heaven, and they have a crown each, and they have a star in their crown for every person that they have brought to God, and one person's crown is massive, and it's like six foot high, and it's covered with stars everywhere because he's brought thousands and thousands of people to God, and there's another guy standing beside him who's just got this little circle of gold around his head with one star on it. <laughs> And it's like they, they ask the guy, well, don't you feel a bit insecure standing beside this guy? He says, no, I bought this guy. He is my one. <laughs> he is my one. Yeah. You know, and so we need to remember that because sometimes we compare ourselves amongst ourselves. And in doing so, the Bible says we are not wise because we think, well, you know, we're not a great evangelist who's done all of this amazing work for God. But the reality is that God works through every one of us and we have no idea the influence that we have had for good. And Andrew here, he just brings Peter, and look what Peter does. Now, of course, Andrew has his own story, and you can read that in history, what Andrew was able to accomplish. Let's have something. Have a look at something else Andrew does in John chapter 6. I've uh, got a little bit of a passage here, a bit of a story, verse 5 to 11. All right. It says, Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Okay, so what, what does Andrew do here? He speaks words of faith. He speaks words of faith. 
you know, everybody's like, what are we going to do? There's nothing we can do. How we, there's no way we can feed these people. And Andrew's like, we've got uh, five barley loaves and two fish. Yeah, this is the second time that Andrew has just simply and quietly brought someone to Jesus. Yes. And I think this shows different personality types. I very much have a personality type like Peter. And sometimes that makes my quiet friends feel like, well, you're doing great things for God, but I'm not. But here's an example of where maybe he's a quieter personality and he's just simply quietly bringing one at a time to Jesus and doing fantastic things, 5,000 because of his faith. That's just the men. So there's probably 10 or 15 or 20,000 again. Okay, so what we've got here is when we look at the life of Andrew, yeah, quiet guy, but he brings Peter mm-hmm. and then he facilitates a miracle that affects possibly 20,000 people. These are big events. We can all be like Andrew. We can't all be like Peter, but we can all be like Andrew yes. and simply quietly bring people to Jesus Christ in faith. Yes. Because that's the key. Andrew's like, yeah, you know, we've got five barley loaves and two fish here. Um, you know, we're good to go. 